Thank God. I want you to turn in your Bibles uh, to the book of Acts. This is a story that we've spent some time on. Uh, some of you were with us a few, well, maybe a year back, when we went through the book of Acts on Wednesday nights. And you're familiar with some, we dug real deep into some of these things, but uh, this morning there's something I wanted us to get out of it, um, and, and also from John chapter uh, 4 that I think is important, and I think it's all throughout the ministry of Jesus and the ministry of his apostles. So in the book of Acts, of course, we'll set the story up here. Uh, probably this story begins, uh, of course, we, we could say, well, the church began. The day of Pentecost, it took off, and uh, they were preaching the gospel. They won much of Jerusalem over, which was a major thing because Jerusalem was the hardest city to reach. Jerusalem was the city that rejected Jesus. Jerusalem was the city in which Jesus wept over and said, how I wish I could have gathered you like a hen gathers her chicks. And then as they reached Jerusalem, the church got big, the church was thriving, and they just kind of said, thank God we've got a big church. And nobody really moved beyond Jerusalem until the day came when they had to appoint seven guys to make sure everybody got fed fairly. And these seven men were not men who were chosen because of their business acumen, because of their organizational, organizational skills or administrative skills. They were chosen because they were full of faith and they were full of the Spirit of God. These guys were chosen to do what we might think was a practical task. But everything we do is spiritual. So we don't just pick. Listen, I know that sometimes in our modern church, you know, we might say, hey, we need some deacons. Let's pick our best business people. But that is not scriptural. What scriptural is, the people we pick for what seems like a practical task need to be spiritual minded. So these guys were spiritual minded. And when they came to the point where they were, their job was to make sure that uh, widows were being properly fed and fairly fed, they also were preaching the gospel in power. One of those guys was Stephen. He preached the gospel. He went back to his synagogues, which was Greek-speaking synagogues, amongst the Greek-speaking Jews or Hellenistic Jews, and he made some people mad. And you guys know the story. He made people mad. They decided to kill him. He died, and... Before he died, he preached a powerful sermon that riled people up, including one guy named Saul. Saul was so convicted by that message, so prodded by the Holy Spirit, he kicked against the goading of the Holy Spirit and began to persecute the church the very next day. He didn't stop, and the church that was so comfortable in Jerusalem got uncomfortable and began to spread out. One of the seven guys that was chosen to make sure widows were getting fed got chased out of Jerusalem, and went down to Samaria. Now, we talked about this before. In fact, we, I think we talked about it a couple weeks back. But Samaria and, 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 and Judea, these, the Samaritans and the Jews, they didn't get along. Obviously, you know that. They didn't get along. They didn't think much of each other. In fact, the Jews viewed these people as basically a cult, you know, and we don't, we don't go anywhere near them. We don't want to have anything to do with them. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the fact that when Jesus was going to Jerusalem, he had to pass through Samaria, and they stopped in a village and said, can we stay here? And these people were already people that were open to Jesus and his ministry, but when they found out he was going to Jerusalem, they said, you can't stay in our town. That was the animosity between these people. So this guy named Philip is the first guy to actually go and preach in Samaria, which is amazing because this region isn't that far from the region they're ministering in. But nobody has thought to go to these people. Even though Jesus said, one of the, first thing, one of the last things he said was this gospel will be, will be preached here in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and then to the ends of the world. I mean, it's one of the only places that Jesus actually goes out of his way to name. Yeah. But nobody goes there. I don't know what they thought would happen. We'll do Jerusalem, the next generation will take Samaria. Like, I don't know if that was their thought, but nobody did it until they were kind of chased out. And Philip begins preaching there. And you guys know the story. He goes down, he begins to preach the gospel. 
People get healed. People get saved. Evil spirits come out. It's a massive move of God. And it wakes something up in the church in Jerusalem because the apostles come down not to shut it down, but to join in what God is doing. The apostles that have not spent a day ministering in Samaria since Jesus went on are now part of the mission to Samaria. They've come down. Peter and John come down. Some of the others come down. Peter has to fix some things because Philip forgot to tell them about the Holy Spirit. Seems like an important thing. He forgets to tell them about it. Peter fixes it. Uh, There are, you know, there's some things that happen. And as they go back to Jerusalem, the scripture tells us or seems to imply that Philip goes with them back to Jerusalem. The cool thing about their trip back to Jerusalem is on the way down, they went straight there. But on the way up, they were so fired up about reaching the Samaritans that they preached in all the villages of the Samaritans on the way back up to Jerusalem, which is awesome. Now, I say up because that's the way the Bible puts it. It says he went down to Samaria, but that's a physical down. It's like going down a mountain. On a map, Samaria is actually to the north. So as they're coming back down to Jerusalem, Philip's going with them, and then something happens. Now, let's turn there in Acts chapter 8. And verse 25, Acts 8, 25 says this, So when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. Then it says in brackets, this is a desert road. So Phil is finally being accepted by the other apostles as something more than a waiter. You guys know what that's like. That's an exciting time. Like they're seeing my gift, guys. They're seeing my place. I'm finally, they finally get my ministry. They get why I'm here. Then out of nowhere, an angel shows up. It says, you need to start walking down this road. And, and the scripture is so kind. Brother Luke, who wrote this all down, this history down, Luke was so kind to put in brackets, this is a desert road. In other words, don't go by yourself on a road like this. Don't walk down this road. There's, there's bad guys on the road. In the middle of the day, it's hot. Yeah, I mean, if you, don't, if you don't die at night because of the bandits, you'll die in the day because of the sun. It's not a typical type of place you'd want to go down. There's not a bunch of gas stations on the way. There's no oasis on the way. It's, it's not a fun trip. But he's going to go down simply because the angel told him. Now, let me just tell you, if God told me, go down from Jerusalem to Gaza, do you know what I'd have in my mind the whole time? Gaza. Right? Because that's a destination. I feel like I need to get my head around a destination. I'm going to Gaza. What's in Gaza, Lord? Well, the truth is, nothing's in Gaza. What God has for him is on the road. To be clear, the angel did say, just start walking down the road. How many of you would be comfortable with that? Comfortable with that vague command? Start going down a road. That's a lot easier with vehicles now, isn't it? It's a lot easier with a car or a truck to say, okay, I'll just start driving. Imagine walking. Just start walking down this road. We want timelines. We want deadlines. We want destinations. We want to know how long it's going to take. We want to know how long it's going to take to get there and and what we're going to do when we get there. Just start walking down the road, bud. Verse 27. So he got up and he went. There was an Ethiopian eunuch a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, and he'd come to Jerusalem to worship. Verse 28, and he was returning and sitting in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. So Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. Now listen, Philip doesn't know he's reading the Bible yet until the spirit of God says, go up. Now remember, Philip was with the apostles. He's enjoying hanging with the big guys and going home. It took an angel to get him off that track. But now an angel doesn't show up on the road. He's not not getting a vision from God. 
He's not getting a massive figure standing in his path. Do you know what he's getting? The Spirit speaking to him. I think everybody in this room would say, if an angel talked to me, I'd do it. Would any of you say, no, I, I don't trust that? I mean, if an angel, and you knew it was God, if you knew it was an angel of the Lord, appeared to you, it wouldn't take much to convince us. But we all hear the Spirit of God regularly. We all have the Spirit of God speaking to us, is what I should say, regularly. Whether or not you hear the Spirit of God is a different issue. I said this earlier this morning, but, you know, we all have our antennas, but are they tuned to the right frequency? We're picking up information all the time. We're listening to things all the time. But are our ears inclined to God? I believe that God is constantly speaking to his people. Whether or not we're constantly listening is another matter. You know, the Bible says to pray without ceasing. And when you picture praying without ceasing, most of us, the image in our head is of talking. But you know that prayer, like any conversation, is not one way. Right? If we're conversing with God, which one of us in the conversation knows more? This is an easy question, right? The trick questions come later. The math comes later. This is simple. Who knows the most? You or God? Right. Who should talk more? It's just a tip in life, a secret in life. Use this for the rest of your life. This is how you get wise. Let the one who knows more talk more. Always. You'll learn more, right? So in prayer, we have to speak, right? The scripture tells us to pray. It tells us to talk to him. Jesus, Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. And when he taught them how to pray, he didn't just say, stay, stay quiet. He told them to say something. It's important that we open our mouths in prayer, isn't it? But it's also important that we open our ears. So if the scripture says to pray without ceasing, and that prayer is a two-way street, then don't you think that means that God consistently wants to speak to you? Throughout your day, throughout your week, throughout your life, God wants to speak. Now, it doesn't always mean that you're going to get a clear sentence, thus says the Lord. But it does mean that he wants to lead you and guide you. It's interesting to me that Jesus described the Holy Spirit as another helper. In other words, one just like you've experienced. I'm going to give you a helper just like you've already had. Because what did the disciples had have? They had a relationship with Jesus where wherever he went, they went. If he told them to go here, they went there. If he told them, now we're going to pray for the sick, they prayed for the sick. If he said, this is what you want, I want you to say, they did it. They didn't have to think so much about where they were going. They just followed Jesus around. Then he sends them out, but they have clear instructions on where to go. Then he says, I'm going away, and they freak out. Because so far, they've just been following Jesus. If he says, I'm going away, that's a problem. We don't know how to do this without following you. He says, it's actually good for you if I go away. And I, I believe that even today when we say that, that it, is, it, was, it worked out for the best. It was best for us that Jesus not stay on the planet, but leave and send his spirit. I'd say most Christians will nod their heads, but not really believe it. Like we'd secretly wish Jesus was right here physically and we could touch him. We would be much more comfortable with that because you know where he is. But Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will do exactly what I did. He will lead you just like I led you. He will guide you just like I guided you. He will teach you just like I taught you. He will show you what to do just like I showed you what to do. He will reveal all the things that the Father is saying he'll disclose to you. So the Holy Spirit is to us what Jesus was to the disciples. Now, do you think the disciples just noticed Jesus once a week? Do you think that they just gathered on a Sunday and said, where's Jesus? Said to meet him here. He was a part of everything they did. Like they watched him for everything. They were never off. You know, Jesus, the, the, the problem with following Jesus is that you always were, had to be on. You always, like he, there were so many times they'd start thinking about food and he's talking about spiritual things. And, and, and it messes with their head because he's never just doing something entirely natural. He's always combined with him. 
And as human beings, we love to have our waffle of life where everything is nicely divided into categories and sections. And, and, and the truth is, is that that's not how God works. You know, the truth is that God does not want to fit into your life. You know what I mean? Say, how does God fit into your life? To fit into your life means that he has to fit with other things. There's a space for him. God doesn't want to fit into your life. God wants to fill your life. He doesn't want to fit into anything. He wants to fill all things. So the question is, are you keeping space for God to fit? Are you leaving all the spaces open for God to fill? That's the way Jesus operated, isn't it? Everything had something going on. And Jesus wasn't entirely in the clouds. He was practical. When they needed food, they went fishing. But even in their fishing trips, he's doing miracles. Or he's teaching them something about what they're doing. I, I, uh, I loved Swiss Family Robinson growing up. I loved it. Anybody else love the Swiss Family Robinson? All right. May I clarify? I loved the version of Swiss Family Robinson I was familiar with, which was like the Disney version. It was all about the treehouse, right? If you remember anything about Swiss Family Robinson, you remember the treehouse. It was the sweetest treehouse. And we all secretly hoped, maybe you didn't, but I'll, I always secretly hoped that I would get stranded on an island so I could build a sweet treehouse in the jungle and have monkeys look after my needs. This was something that... I didn't think it was the worst thing in the world if our plane went down over the ocean. I thought this could work out. Well, come on, I was a kid, right? So I didn't know. So... <laughs> When I, when I was engaged to Tia, I took a trip to Spokane. I drove to Spokane from here straight. And I went to go see her. And I needed something to occupy my time. So I bought the audiobook of the original Swiss Family Robinson. I was not prepared for how boring that was going to be. <laughs> Very little was said about the treehouse. In fact... Pretty much nothing about the sweet contraptions that were all over the treehouse. This was, you know what it was? Everywhere they went, it got so annoying after a while. Everywhere they went, their dad was like, you know what this means? You know what this plant is? You know what this animal does? You know how to use this for medicine? I was like, dad, you need to chill out. I mean, these, these kids are going to get real annoyed real quick. Most of the book is their dad, every little thing, he's teaching them something. See, I thought the beauty of Swiss Family Robinson was school was over. <laughs> all I need to know is how to drink from a coconut, and I got this, right? Their dads tell them all this stuff. And you know what? In the book, then you begin to see how they use that knowledge. But not everything they learn, they use. It's just they learn it. It must have been somewhat what it was like traveling with Jesus. He was never not teaching. He was never not ministering. This was life. Jesus didn't have an on and an off. He was just, he didn't have a spiritual and a natural. It was just life. So here, Philip doesn't know who this guy is. He doesn't know what he's doing. The spirit says, go up to the chariot. Philip doesn't saunter over. He doesn't hesitate. He runs to the chariot. And of course, then we get to the story where, and, and we'll just blow through it pretty quick because we've spent time on it before, where the eunuch basically leads himself to the Lord. Philip is just there to like, I don't know, fill a space. No pun intended with his name, but, but the Ethiopian basically goes through it himself. He says, hey, I'm reading Isaiah. Uh, could anybody explain to me who this suffering servant is? So he's already reading the Old Testament prophecies about Jesus, wants somebody to explain to him. Philip explains it to him, and then he gets to water and he says, well, hey, is there anything to stop me from being baptized? This man gets himself saved and gets himself baptized. All Philip has to do is like fill in the blanks. And I've told you this before, but I used to read this and go, why can't it ever be that easy? God, why is it not that easy for me? Why do I have to work? Why couldn't you just make it so easy? Where there's like, I go to Tim Hortons and someone is saying, hmm, what is this Bible I'm reading? Who is this Jesus? If only there were someone in this whole restaurant that would tell me about this Jesus. Like, yeah, tons of people get saved all the time. The trick is, is that God told Philip to walk down a desert road before that ever happened. 
We forget that part, right? But what I want to focus on for a minute, yeah, God sent him on a desert road, but then what happens after? It says in verse 38, he ordered the chariot to stop. They both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. What I love about this, now can you imagine that's your baptism service? You go in the water, you come out, and the guy that baptized you, as soon as you come out of the water, just goes, just is immediately gone. I mean, I'm kind of jealous. I want some baptism services like that, to be honest. That'd be pretty cool. And when this happens, what I, what's brilliant about this is that the, the eunuch doesn't freak out that a man disappeared. He's just like, all right, cool. He goes on his way rejoicing. That was awesome. I don't know. He, he might have told the story later and said, I think an angel baptized me. He might not have known what happened. But Philip is snatched away. Now, I've read some old commentaries that try to explain this away. You can't explain away the the phrase snatched away. It's not like he pulled a Batman and while the the eunuch was under the water, he just kind of slipped away. And when the eunuch looked up, where did he go? You know, he genuinely got snatched away. This is where we get the term rapture from. He's taken away. Now, this is not unprecedented. This happened in the Old Testament with the prophets, didn't it? There were times where they were snatched away. The Ethiopian doesn't see him. The Ethiopian says, well, cool, I guess this is what life is like with these people. And he just goes on. And Philip finds his way at Azotus. Now, I've told you this before, but as much as I drool over the opportunity that he had to lead this guy to, this, to Jesus, I even more get excited about the fact that the Holy Spirit just like, you know, transferred him to a totally different place. I mean, Star Trek style. He just ended up somewhere else. But I used to think, how convenient would life be? We drive to Loon Lake an hour and a half, a couple times a week at least. Couldn't we just get translated there? Like I step off the stage and end up there. And you know what? We've heard stories of that happening in modern times, but I don't think it's something you can just, you know, order. (laughs) But here's the deal. When we think about this, we think of convenience, right? Wouldn't it be convenient? But it wasn't convenient at all. Do you know where Philip is heading? Caesarea. Do you know where God dropped him off? 60 miles from Caesarea. God messed up his day by dropping him off 60 miles from where he needs to be. Here's what I'm getting at. As you see, Philip doesn't just head to Caesarea. He stops in every village along the way. So why did God drop him off in the middle of nowhere? God dropped him off there down at Azotus, which Azotus, you may not recognize that name. That's the Greek name for Ashdod. Anybody remember Ashdod in the Old Testament? <laughs> prize, prize. All right? See me after, see me after church, you'll get candy. Um, Ashdod was a, a chief city of the Philistines. It was one of the places that the Israelites never conquered. And uh, it was a place of idolatry. Ashdod is where they had that big statue to Dagon. This is a, uh, this is a very major city uh, of, of idolatry. Uh, of course, it wasn't Philistine by the time that Philip came to it, but it hadn't changed that much in, in the sense of uh, these were people that were not following the true God. And this is where Philip starts. He goes up and he hits these villages, every village along the coast until he gets up to Caesarea. And here's the deal. If Philip was focused on where he was going and saying, I know I need to go to Caesarea because I got to preach the gospel in Caesarea. If he was only focused on that, he would have missed most of the ministry. If he was only focused on Gaza, get down to Gaza, he would have missed all that ministry with the Ethiopian and the chariot. You see, What we tend to do is we set up appointments for God to show up. God, I know you'll speak to me on a Sunday morning. And that's not wrong because God will. You know what I mean? Absolutely he will. You get a bunch of people in a room praising God, God will speak to people. You should expect that. 
The problem is, is that if you go throughout your week expecting that that's when you'll hear from God, you're going to miss out on most of life. Or we have an outreach somewhere up north and you say, that's when I'll get to share the gospel. You're going to miss out on most of the opportunities God's putting in front of you. Examine the miracles of Jesus and tell me how many of them were planned. Go and do that as a research project. Read all of his miracles and then tell me how many of them were at a destination. You'll find that most of them, much of them, were on the way to somewhere else. On the road to here, on the way here, somebody stops him, somebody calls out, somebody gets his attention. Peter and John, well, you know what? Let's go to Acts 4 and then we'll move on. We'll talk about Peter and John a little bit. But Acts chapter 4, not Acts 4, John 4, sorry. Now, you guys know I love talking about this story. You're probably tired of me talking about this story a little bit, but that's okay, right? Yeah, man, a couple people said okay. So it, I'm going to take their word counts for 50 of you. John 4, verse 3. He left Judea, this is Jesus, and went away again into Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. What do you see? He had to pass through Samaria. Does Samaria sound like the destination? No, it's not the destination. In fact, it doesn't even make it sound like he wants to go through Samaria. It says he has to. He's on his way to Galilee. He's on his way somewhere, but he has to pass through Samaria. Pass through. You know, I've been to Edmonton more times than I could count I've never said Innisfree is my destination. Right? I've never expected big things of Innisfree. Innisfree is best enjoyed when you expect nothing. <laughs> it's a bathroom break. It's a convenience store. At best, a diner. You don't expect great things in Innisfree. But we have some hilarious stories in Innisfree, let me tell you. There are some folks in Innisfree. What if you expected that God could use you just as much in Innisfree as he could in Edmonton or Lloyd? What if we expected, what if we stopped thinking about these, these set appointments where God is going to move or God's going to use us and begin to expect that he is with us all the time, speaking all the time, and that opportunities are way more plentiful than we know? What happens is that Jesus is passing through Samaria, so he came to a city of Samaria called Sikar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. So if we're going by Roman time, sixth hour is six. But if we're going by Jewish time, this is noon. He's tired, he's been walking, he's hot. I could give you a bunch of background on this story, but we've talked about this before. So let's, let's kind of breeze through the... the the parts we're familiar with, and get to some other things. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I'm a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So she said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us this well and drank of it himself and the sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of this water that I give them will never thirst, but the water that I give them will become in them a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to her, Sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. He said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have correctly said, I have no husband. And she's probably saying, I didn't know I was being quizzed right now. <laughs> you know, I don't have a husband. You're right, you don't. <laughs> For you have had five husbands. Oh, this is where the conversation gets real awkward. 
What's amazing to me is that she has no husband. She's apparently very good at getting married. She's done it five times. She's just maybe not good at sticking to it. I don't know. Um, (laughs) The one whom you have now is not your husband. This you've said truly. The woman said to her, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. No kidding. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain. You people say that Jerusalem is the place where you men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me. An hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you don't know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He is called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. At this point, his disciples came. And they were amazed that he'd been speaking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek or why do you speak with her? So Jesus is a little bit like Jared here. Can I get your number? I got it. They're, they're, all, they're all a little shocked he's talking to a woman. That was not proper in that culture for a single man to talk to a woman by herself. Or a married man, for that matter. It just wasn't proper, especially not a Samaritan woman. So they're amazed. And the woman left her water pot, and she went into the city and said to the men, Come, see a man who've told me all the things that I've done. This is not the Christ or the Messiah, is it? They went out of the city, and they were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. Now, we know these. You know what? They're well-meaning. They're ministry of helps. And they think, you know, Jesus is our beloved, absent-minded professor. And we love him because he's amazing. He's brilliant. He is, you know, he's obviously the Messiah, the Son of God. But he forgets to eat. Bless his heart. And if we don't force him to eat, he's just going to kill himself. He'll just, you know, we need to help him. Rabbi, eat. Rabbi, we have food for you. He said to him, I have food that you don't know about. So the disciples were saying to one another, no one brought him anything to eat, did they? And the reason they're asking, first of all, is they're puzzled. But second of all, I think the real reason here is somebody's trying to score special points with the teacher behind the rest of our backs. (laughs) Who snuck him food? I have the throne next to his. When his kingdom comes, don't try to slip by on me. Try to give him those little two-bite brownies and think that you're going to get into his kingdom with a better seat than me. Who snuck him food? Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me, to accomplish his work. Don't you say there are four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes, look on the fields. They're already white for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for life eternal, so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. From that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all the things that I've done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his word, and they were saying to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we've heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. After two days, he went forth from there into Galilee. You see, here's a guy, Jesus, who was not afraid to have his schedule messed up. His goal was Galilee. Now, here's the deal. We know that Jesus was the Son of God and the Son of Man all at once, right? That's the hypostatic union. He was fully God, fully man. And yet the Scripture tells us that he emptied himself of some of the perks of deity and became a man like us, which means he stepped out of this eternity and stepped into linear time where he didn't know everything all at once, he knew what the Father showed him, right? That's what he said. I say what my Father tells me to say. I, don't, I do what the, I see the Father do. What I know is what the Father has revealed to me. So Jesus doesn't, he, did, he didn't walk around going, 
I can't shut off the voices. I hear everybody in China. I hear everybody in South America. No, like he was moving through time like we do, but God was revealing things. So how did he know that this woman had had five husbands and the man she was living with wasn't her husband? It was because the Spirit was revealing to him. But the Father, through the Spirit, was revealing this to him. I don't think, now this is my theory and you can believe what you want to believe, but I don't believe that Jesus knew when he set out for Galilee, I don't, know, I don't know that he knew he was going to encounter this woman. But he sits down at the well, and when he sees her, he knows. It'd be a fool's errand for us to try to figure out when he knew and what he knew. But what we do know this is that everything he knew was revealed by the Spirit of God. Here's the cool thing. He said, the same Spirit I have, I'm giving to you. And he will reveal all things to you. He will disclose things to you. Jesus was trying to get to Galilee. He stopped for a drink and maybe a little history trip, right? Because if Jesus is anything like my dad, he said, guys, did you know that this is the well that Jacob stopped in? Are you familiar where we are? Very important place. Jesus, we're thirsty. Uh, before we have a drink, do you know where this is? This is the well. I'm sure that's what he did, you know? So this is exactly what my dad would have done on a mission trip. Guys, do you know how important this well? We're just thirsty. Just let us drink from the well. Yeah, but you, I have to tell you the history. Don't tell us the history. Just give us a drink of the well. <laughs> it's very important. I know it's very important. The reason it's very important to me is because it has water in it. And I'm very thirsty. That's why I want to get to the well. You'll get water when you listen to the story. <laughs> Jesus sits there and a woman comes up and he starts a conversation. How many encounters do we have exactly like that every day? Every day. Most of Jesus' ministry did not take place at the destination, but on the way to the destination. Do you know why that doesn't happen as much with us? We don't really want it to happen that way. We're on our way. I got to get to Galilee. Do you know, can I reveal something about myself to you? And I'm a little embarrassed to admit it, but the truth is anything I can do online without talking to somebody, I want to do it that way. That's not because I don't like people. It's because I can do it without messing it up. People could mess this up. So book a hotel, I want to do it online. Book an air, a flight, I want to do it online. Check into the flight, I want to do that online. Starbucks has a feature now where you can customize your drink. Mobile order it. You can sit in the parking lot and do it. And then you just go in, bypass all the people, bypass the line, say, here's my drink, thank you, and leave. And you don't have to talk to anybody. And no one can mess up your order because you did it. But you know, the problem with that is I may have just passed a bunch of people that I was supposed to come in contact with. I'm not saying I'll never use it. <laughs> I'm not going to be snared by the words of my mouth here, folks. Because I'll admit, when I want a drink that's a little bit more specialized, it's embarrassing for me to order it. The more things I add to that drink, the more of a girl I feel like at the counter. <laughs> Let me just be honest. Coffee, black, that sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> I want a, a white chocolate, coconut milk, macchiato, half sweet. I don't like ordering things like that. I would rather, so I'll do that on the phone. Yeah, I'll just be picky. And no one thinks I'm high maintenance. Girls, you're not high maintenance, you're just high quality. Right? And I know it's 2016. Things are different now, Jonathan. I get it, okay? Forgive me. Don't get on Twitter. All right, we're good. So anyways, I want to use the app. And I'm not saying I won't use the app. But let me tell you. Well, this is what I'm saying. <laughs> what I'm saying is we've got to view every time we leave the house, every time we walk into the streets as ministry opportunities in front of us every day. And the only way that happens is if we turn our antenna to him. You know the problem? We're not listening like we should because we listen when we expect something. You listen when you expect direction, right? What we tend to do is go from waypoint to waypoint and then listen as opposed to listening all the time. Why? Because listening requires effort. And we know that if we were to listen... God may speak. 
And if God speaks, he's going to mess up our plan by adding things and changing things. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about these disciples, how they are so focused in on we have somewhere to go, it's time to eat, it's time to leave, it's time to sleep. They're trying to keep Jesus on schedule, and that's impossible. They're trying to keep Jesus on the schedule because that's what you do as ministry of helps. You help him keep his schedule. But you know what happens when they get filled with the Spirit? They change. Because now they have the Spirit that Jesus had. And so now instead of them constantly just looking at him going, what's he doing now? Now they have that same spirit leading, guiding. In fact, even causing them to feel what God feels. The Bible says that that spirit searches out even the depths of God. Do you know the Holy Spirit right now is searching out even the deep places of God and disclosing that to his people if they'll listen. So Peter and John are on the way to the temple, right? That's the goal. That's the destination. You could easily say God's got a mission for us at the temple because that's where we're headed, the temple. But remember, there's a man at the gates of the temple slowing them down, wasting their time, messing up their plans. And it's that man who just needs money. They allow themselves, because they have their ears tuned to the Spirit of God, they allow themselves not only to stop for the man, but to hear from God what God has for the man. And when the man says, hey, I need money, they say, we don't have any money, but what we have, we give to you. That is an amazing statement. They did not say, we'll pray for you. They said, we have something for you. Do you know how much confidence it takes for you to say, I have this for you? They were tuned into the Holy Spirit. They knew, they knew all of a sudden what they thought was their mission was not their mission. This is our mission, this guy right here. They allowed themselves to be sidetracked by this guy, to hear what God was saying, to grab the man, say, what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. Peter doesn't just let him do it. Peter grabs him by the hand, yanks him to his feet, and the man is healed. From that miracle came an opportunity for them to go into the temple. And when they got into the temple, a crowd gathered in the courtyard on the portico of Solomon and said, what, where is this coming from? What are you talking about? Who is this Jesus? What authority are you doing this by? And they preached one of the greatest messages of the early church right there in the temple. And it all began with being sidetracked by this guy. We set appointments for God and there's nothing wrong with having appointments for God. You know, my wife and I still go on dates. Anybody still go on dates with your spouse? Yeah, all right. We got a couple of healthy marriages in the room. <laughs> We're too mature for that. We've moved past the dates. We transcend dates. Okay, all right, whatever you call them. You take your wife out to eat. Your wife takes you out to eat. Whatever, it's coming from the same bank account. But you take time together. But what would it be like if you said, honey, I'm going to take you on a date. I'm going to treat you right. Mm. I'm going to buy you the finest steak or whatever you want. You want club soda with lime? I'll get club soda with lime for you, baby, because that's how I treat you. I treat you right. And then you got home and you said, what are you doing at my house? Well, I live here too. No, you do not live here too. We go on dates. You don't live here. I don't want to see you day to day. I want to see you on dates because I dress up for dates. I go out. I plan the dates. They're, they're scheduled. They have nice things in them. I don't want to live with you. Do you think that marriage would last very long? No. That's what we do with Jesus all the time. Hey, I'll meet you on Sunday. I'll meet you on Wednesday. I'll meet you at my prayer time, 7 o'clock. Jesus does not want to go on just dates with you. Well, we're already getting into weird language here. But he doesn't want to just set up appointments with you. Like I said, he doesn't want to fit into your life. He wants to fill your life. So the truth of the matter is when we're going and just saying, well, all right, this is, I'm going to go witnessing on Wednesday. I think you should still do that. Just like you should still take your spouse out to eat. Right? Amen. Yeah, get some amens. Got an amen, Eric. You should still do that. You should still come on a Sunday morning expecting to hear from God. But what it shouldn't be is a replacement for having your antenna turn to heaven and say, when you go out, God, what's my mission right now? 
And here's the deal. God may tell you your mission is to go over here to Edmonton and not tell you that he's got something planned for you in Innisfree. Because he does that all the time. Because if he had told you your mission was Innisfree, you might have just made it all about Innisfree. Instead, he says, no, go to Edmonton. You happen to stop. Here's the problem. We turn off our ears. We turn off our listening because we say, no, I know what I'm doing. I know where I'm going. I'll check back with you. I'll check in in a minute. What I'm going to challenge you to do this morning, what I want to get across is that God is using his people in unexpected ways, but it's going to take you being spiritually tuned in. You can't be satisfied with the appointments you've set for God. You can't be satisfied with an just organized events where we say, we're witnessing on Wednesday, we're praying on Monday, we're worshiping on Sunday. If you're not expecting that the Holy Spirit's going to get into those plans and mess them up a little bit, you're missing out on a whole bunch of good stuff. How many of you plan to go out to eat today? Anybody? Really? Cool. Well, we got a couple people. We're going to take up an offering for everybody. Um, <laughs> oh, okay. All right. So a couple of people are going out to eat. When you go out to eat, what do you expect to happen? You expect to get food? You expect to get fed? You should also be asking God, what's at this restaurant that you need to say, that you need to do? And it may not be you getting up on your booth and preaching the gospel like on Mars Hill, but it may be you ministering to that waitress in some way. It may be you praying for somebody. It may be you just leaving a giant tip and saying, Jesus loves you. I don't know. But if we're not asking, that's why we're not hearing. It takes more work for you to ask or for you to just be in tune and listen. But you got to remember, if Jesus only ministered at the destination, most of those great miracles we love would never have happened. He was heading this way. He was going here. The apostles were heading here. Philip was going here. And the ministry took place on the road. Jesus shows up on the road all the time. The Holy Spirit ministers on the road. From point A to point B, in that is all the space where life is lived. I'd like for us to step out of what we expect and step into the unexpected. You are God's greatest tool. You are God's greatest instrument. If you're not willing to be on other than these set times and appointed times, then we're putting God in a certain segment of our life and we're going to find ourselves really cut short. God is expecting that we are his people that are listening. The Bible says those that are led by the Spirit of God in Romans 8, those that are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God, the sons of God. Those that are led by the Spirit of God. To be led by the Spirit of God is not convenient. It's not easier, but it is much richer. You know, the truth is, we had those bikers come a couple weeks back, and they took a small group of our uh, church members out, winning souls. You know, I was around with those guys for a day. There wasn't a conversation they had that couldn't mean something more than a conversation. When you get on fire for Jesus and on fire for reaching people for Jesus, every, every moment in your life is an opportunity. That's what's great about hanging out with people like that. You catch it. You know what I mean? We're so used to the problem with being, you know, I guess, civilized is that we, we expect this is an outreach event. At the outreach event, we will reach people for Jesus. And I'm saying, do that. You should keep doing that. But what it doesn't replace is all the space in between. When only you, at the right time, at the right place, you're that divine intervention into somebody's life. And you can't make it all about you. Because here's the problem. We say, okay, Lord, you want to... Make this, you want to make my day different. You want to change my day. But really the point is, this is about the Holy Spirit messing up somebody else's schedule. I shouldn't say messing up, but totally intervening and stepping into somebody else's schedule. The whole world around us is on a path to death. Entropy will take them there. 
Take them all the way to hell. Let's just be frank about it. That's the end goal, isn't it? And they're not the end goal, it's the end destination. Without Jesus, that's where we're all headed. Unless someone intervenes. God intervenes in people's lives because he came to save them from death. God intervenes by using his people. You are meant to interrupt life. Too many Christians say, yeah, I don't want to be a bother to somebody. I don't want to mess up their day. I don't want to step on my toes with their beliefs, so don't. You know, if there was a bus headed off a cliff and you stepped in front of that bus and stopped it, and got in on the bus and said, you've got to turn this thing around, would you be apologizing to all the passengers for making them a little late? Would you be thinking you did a good thing? You can't force anybody to be a believer. Even if you did, it wouldn't be real. But what you can do is be in the right place at the right time for God to intervene in their life. God uses people, right? Let me just make a point here, and this is going to be one of my last, probably my last. An angel spoke to Philip, right? Why couldn't that angel go speak to the Ethiopian guy? God already had an angel out. Why, why waste Philip's time? You know, it wasn't Philip's, it wasn't that God was trying to teach Philip something. It was that God was using Philip because the angels, praise God, they're important, but the Bible says they're sent to us, to minister to us who inherit salvation. Their job isn't to do your job. God used an angel to speak to a believer, but he used a believer to speak to an unbeliever. You are the ones that are supposed to be standing between the, the path to death and the way to life. Step there, intercede. To intercede means to stand in the gap. Step into that path. So we're all going somewhere today, aren't we? Some of you go straight home. Some of you are going somewhere tomorrow. Let's make this very practical. Can I make it super practical for you? I want you to go on your next three outings. Your next three outings, I want you to pray in the Holy Spirit and say, God, what do you want me to do here? Sometimes it may not be dramatic. Sometimes it will. It will make you uncomfortable. It'll make you feel awkward. It may make your friends feel awkward. But just be used by God. See what he does. Maybe that three times will lead to six times. Six times will lead to 12 times. It's about getting in a pattern of keeping your ear tuned to the Holy Spirit. Would you stand with me? And I will pray with you this morning.